Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And we are joined tonight by Jesse Oliver and Rose Freeman. Hi. How are y'all doing? Doing well. I feel like I visited you guys too much at this point. Like we're now on round three (laughs) of me hanging out with you. Oh, see, there are so many people who have been on, like Sam Adeguile has been on like 10,000 times I am so excited to work with her. She's the best. Yeah, she's the I'm best. really excited. You know, every now and then there's like collaborators that come by your desk and you're just like, and this is gonna be dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know that we asked her about Killian for fry shirts? Oh, really? Yes. See, she just keeps pitching this to me. <laughs> yeah. so, so a little context, we had our poetry night tonight. It was one of our scopy sessions. Um, and we had a lot of drops, and so we had a lot of extra time. And so we frantically reached out to the coolest people we know. Okay, wait, I'm gonna pause for a second. Sorry, we were bidding one of our poets adieu. Yes. Uh, Maureen was, rather. Anyway, yeah, so... because um, I'm the best. And so she that was ex- adorable. She was great. Oh, no! She was great. Yeah. <laughs> if you like, are... If a- this is what we're looking at for what early 20-something looks like as a slice of life, I can't wait till she talks about being 30. <laughs> <laughs> tired for her. Yeah. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> well, so I loved the, the nature of the reason why like the reason we've all come together now tonight before uh, of us to talk because it's it actually sets up really well something that we wanted to talk about which is first off uh lady business lady which business is something that you've been working on a while yeah and it kind of brings up this whole idea of things being like a stray idea that gets posted on social media or like you know a weird text of like please come talk about something at our show tonight and that ends up becoming like a really um artistically satisfying or creatively interesting endeavor. Yeah. Um, So would you mind telling us a little bit about about Lady Business? Yeah, Lady Business was an idea that was born um, right after Trump was elected. It uh, was very clear that there were a lot of things about to get defunded and that a lot of them were um, things like Planned Parenthood. And so I decided, I just posted something on Facebook that said, well, what if we did a cabaret for Planned Parenthood? And this was pretty early on, like in November. And uh, I got Ashley Hargrave, who runs Vox, uh, Vox 3 Collective, and Kate Leslie, who uh, was the educational director at Emerald City and is now uh, doing grad school and then coming back to Chicago on board to help me with it. And in February, we raised just shy of $6,000 for um, Chicago Women's Health Center and Planned Parenthood. Jesus Christ, really? Yep. Um, and uh, we're about to do a second one. It's going to be uh, a lesser scale just because uh, I'm really committed to the idea of keeping them going and having one that's like a huge one. Like we did a whole silent auction and we got real clever because we're not technically a 501c3, but what we did for the silent auction is you had to go online and show us that you had donated that amount of money. To plan to Yes, or nice. to Chicago Women's Health to right, get, right. and we had divided up what the things That's were. That's so smart. Yeah, I mean, I and I had uh, Jen Kincaid, who runs the box office for Uptown Underground, cut checks directly to these two organizations. Great. So I got real clever in how to make it that we could raise money for them without being a 501c3, because that just takes so much time and money and energy. There are a few, not to interrupt, like... Mm-hmm the amazingness that you're doing, but um, there is, it's like something Atlas, 
There is a organization where you can say what you're doing to the organization Fractured. and they will like sponsor Fractured, Fractured Atlas. Yes. Yes. And they will sponsor your 501c3. That's so, real good to know. Although I commend your creative <laughs> financial I am the you know, queen of the workaround. Tap dance. <laughs> there may be a faster way. Yes, yes. So we're going to do one at the end of summer. We don't have the date fully pinned down yet. But I know the two organizations we're going to uh, do it for are Sarah's Circle, which is a homeless shelter for women in Chicago, and Distributing with Dignity, which is an organization that uh, distributes tampons, pads, uh, deodorant, and bras to homeless women. So That's so fucking important. Yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> I feel like as a homed human, like as somebody who has a place to live, and I've needed a tampon, and it's been a pretty rough situation. And I'm also pretty masculine presenting, so me going up to like some nice lady in a supermarket being like, you got a tampon? Like, <laughs> you also need a, did yeah. a series it's on homeless fun. women, and one of the things that just like sort of like rocked me because I just hadn't thought about it, I hadn't been conscious enough to think about it, is that there are plenty of weeks that they have to choose, am I going to buy a box of tampons or eat this week? Yeah. And that's like a real choice and I and also homeless women have the highest rate of toxic shock syndrome and I was like oh of course they that's, do course. yes I was like this is something we can they're like I for. have it I'm gonna use it until I yeah. can't anymore it's like my, my dad worked um he was an executive at Kimberly Clark when I was growing up and he, he worked in marketing and he found that um, people in very low income brackets bought the highest quality diapers and they couldn't figure it out for years. And then finally somebody, they just figured out to bring in poor people into the focus group. Um, That's so weird. I know. They were like, whoa. Uh, but it, it was because they were such high quality diapers. You'd put one on for the day and keep the kid in the diaper for the entire day. Yeah. And the entire executive board was horrified. Yeah. Started actually some really cool nonprofit work on my dad's part, but I, I, yeah, I mean, that reality was something that was like, so I was like, okay, what can we do? Because the, the, the goal is that lady business, um, raises money for, uh, female identifying organizations. And so, uh, or organizations that like, I know one of them will be for ACLU because, uh, human rights are women's rights. And, you know, we, that's uh, the work that ACLU does is so vital and important. Um, but this is uh, something I'm really committed to keeping going, and uh, we are bringing a fourth person in. And uh, we were sitting backstage. I just did celebration of the authors with Barrel of Monkeys, which is our end of the year show down at uh, in Hyde Park. And uh, I was talking to a girl who was like, "Yeah, I saw you sing at Uptown Underground because I was there for a meeting about doing a cabaret for women's." Uh, issues and I was like wait a second you know that's actually what I do and so now Kristen Rao is going to be part of the group as well so that we can um, have as many hands to take care of this so we can keep it going because as many people uh, sitting here know when you have jobs and are doing artistic endeavors uh, having other things that you're still really, really passionate about, just the planning and execution, it just takes a village to make all of that happen. Yeah. Um, and so having that 
access to people who are passionate and care about it as much as you do is really important. And part of that is uh, having an access to a network of performers in Chicago. I was going to ask, actually, is um, with projects like that, uh, like, for me, it's an interesting thought of trying to figure out how much of it is, like, the things that do really well or the things that really make a difference. How much of it is the, the creator or the head administrator's, like, own volition and just kind of, like, general piss and vinegar? And then how much of it is the, like, pool of resources? And I think there is a balance, but I, I, I've been, like, as we've been talking about this, playing this, like, game in my head of, like, trying to think, like, how what it ends up really looking like. Because, like... For example, like we had the poetry night, and it was literally just like to find people that I didn't know because I don't know any fucking poets. So like it was like <laughs> to find people at all. It was just a matter of just like going on the Scopy Twitter and just like adding a bunch of random people, and like it panned out that people found out about it from that. And but and so like heart. So like thinking of that balance between like of own volition of like just kind of like desperately message reaching out to people, and then also the fact that just like the wealth of people exist like I don't know what what do you all think about that I mean I'm really fortunate that Barrel of Monkeys is uh, I'm a company member of Barrel of Monkeys and that is a pretty broad group of people so like there are people <coughs> whose main things are physical theater so like we had uh, uh, one of our performers on the last one uh, is a clown and she's incredible but she like all of her schooling is in clowning uh, and then we had some stand-up comics, and we were really committed to the idea of part of the way we get um, a broad spectrum of people in the door is to open this up to a broad spectrum of people, like, and make it a real cabaret, right? Like, where you're not just seeing singers sing, you're not just seeing, you know, improv people doing a set, you're not just seeing a stand-up, you're, like, getting a range of experience. We also had storytellers in Erica Price, who is... Um, like the most brilliant person you'll ever meet. And she came in and read a story uh, about um, about abortion, to be frank, uh, because we were talking about Planned Parenthood and it was... I mean, abortion happens. Like, abortion happens. Yeah. I mean, Humans. I just didn't know how much I could talk about on, on this. That's, I, was I like, mean, ah. I just want to go on record and say that, like, women, like, we have miscarriages. Yes. Um, the regular. I don't know how many people I have talked to about. Like my period came really late, and then it was really heavy, and I had to be like, "That's that was the miscarriage, yeah. right? Like that's the science behind that. Like we, on a regular basis, as human bodies, like we can't handle this right now. Right. Flush, right? Like right. not to be crass about it, but well, abortion happens. Abortion happens. And you know, and sometimes uh, for good reason. Well, in her I'm story, sure every was, time I'd uh, say reasons why abortion is a radical act of love. And like, Amen. It yeah. was so palpably powerful, it like silenced the room. And then we had a clown come out afterwards. <laughs> you know, take him down and bring him up. Because yeah. <laughs> that's how you program. <laughs> um, Gotta keep the room lively. Yeah, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so and bringing Kristen in, she also knows a, oh a different group of artists. So like, it's it's great, you know. I mean, we started the last one with uh, reproduction from Greece too. That was like Emerald City people doing reproduction from Greece too. You of know, course. Like, <laughs> I just I just want to point out Matt's amazing <laughs> assessment of 
Can you imagine what it was like to be the clown that had to come <laughs> <on> <laughs> after? I've like, known clowns because I stage managed for a lot of clowns for a while. Um, they were probably amped as fuck. They were like, yeah! We're gonna look them in the face! <laughs> I mean, it was, you know... The, no offense, clowns, but did. y'all are crazy. Like, <laughs> you all are motherfucking awesome! I, like, you know, I'm actually obsessed with clowns because, um, first of all, uh, I... I have an idea to do a clown cozy at some point. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, right? Like, yeah. Because I love this idea of uh, Del Arte being in these two, like taking something that's an opera that's based out of Del Arte and taking something that's like the clowning out of Del Arte and trying to fuse them into one. I think you just let them hang out in the room together and then they make I'm, a baby. Wh- yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's like, it's like opera baby. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Mozart is definitely all about the clowns. Yeah. Like, he was, he was such a radical pop star at the time yeah. right he, he was he was so bubblegum at that moment and it was good bubblegum right I'm not just like we need popcorn in our lives yeah. I love popcorn I love bubblegum that was Mozart. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like raising hamsters. Like, just leave it in a room, shut the door, and come back and be like, how'd I get a hundred of them? What's your, what, do you, what would you say is your bubblegum to tobacco ratio in your life? Ooh, you are calling me out. Um, <laughs> well, I, I actually, like, genu- I didn't necessarily mean that as a rose. No, 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 you're spectrum. right, you're right. Um, I probably, if we're going at a literal, like, bubblegum to tobacco we're probably doing three three to twenty okay all right like that's three that is making making the time for the three is important like making the time well yeah sometimes you just need to i prefer lavender flavored bubblegum because i'm obnoxious Mm -hmm. they have lavender flavor yeah oh yeah you bring up a good point hold on it's so there's there's yeah you you gotta go to the bodegas homie like so you go to the bodega and there's gonna be lavender mints and they're gonna be in like in a little tube don't go for those they're gross (laughs) Go for the gum. It's going to be in a little rectangle. They look like chiclets. Yeah, they look yeah. like chiclets, and you're going to be so happy. Oh, and then when them. you make out, people are going to be like, you taste like lavender and vanilla. Because you should also be sprinkling a little vanilla on yourself so you smell like cinnamon cookies. Um, because Wait that's a minute, how you like get the ladies and the gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, I want yeah. to These are my pro tips for getting laid right here. I am consistently married, so I I grew up with these are wasted tools. But nonetheless, lavender bubblegum, man. Well, no. So I, on that thought of like bubblegum to tobacco spectrum, I started watching House of Cards. Ooh, that's a lot of tobacco. It is. It is. And I got. I would take a break on that. I have a problem where like I end up watching things while I'm working, but House of Cards, you can't not No, you watch. can't do that. And so I have a habit of watching seasons at once, just like in a slew of editing or whatever. But then mm-hmm. what ended up happening is I just watched three seasons of House of Cards in the matter of like four days. Uh-huh. And I was like, this was a fucking mistake. Yeah, and that's I was like looking at the entire world like someone I was going to murder, and I was like, what the fuck? And so then I started watching um, Great British Baking <laughs> oh, Show. No See, that's that, right? It's awesome. <laughs> is it not the best? I've passed out the bubble gum for those listening oh, yeah. Right, because it's like not sweet and obnoxious. It's just pleasant. Yeah. And sometimes you need something pleasant. For the record, right. Mozart is sweet and obnoxious. This bubble gum is kind of like. Um, it's like herbal. I'd give it like the Nico Muley of 
tastes. <laughs> no. Modern, hip, um, yet still somehow still pleasant. Still Even though you kind of hate yourself for getting it. So I fucking, I hate gum as like, as like a rule. Like I don't like chewing gum. This I'm a fan of. Right? Isn't it pleasant? Yeah. I think I've had the mints before, and I really didn't like Those it. Those mints are terrible. Because the flavor dies. Yeah, so yeah it's like, and, and also, like, you hit it in your mouth, and like, I didn't mean to. It's like your tongue is confused. Perfume. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's dreadful. We've gotten distracted. No, I've no, no, done no. it again. It's okay. It's, it's what I'm good at. Well, so, would you mind talking a little bit about fresh fruits? This, this. Oh, that is also. so not a real thing yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's the beauty I mean, of it. Take the so, because that's a dick move. So. I appreciate that. Wait, is it? Have you had one? No, it's, it's not. Here, no, it will. Okay. That's the it point. Will. It what? actually. You will. don't understand about yes. this gum. Is it mixed well with? T- yeah, I got another pack in the car. Do I look like somebody? <laughs> don't white knight me. <laughs> I am oh, a it's only the last piece. So. <laughs> needless. <laughs> needless. Can I say how sad I am that Rose Freeman is not playing D&D with us? Because that was the perfect, like, if Tyler was a paladin. Yeah. He would fucking love D&D. Oh, this is delicious. Told you. Um, has anyone here seen Freaks and Geeks? Hey, yes. The last episode. I cannot think of D and D without thinking of the last episode of Freaks and Geeks, and I've never actually played D and D. Give a quick review of this lavender bubble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Come up here. Come on in. Come, come on in. in. Come in. Talk this about is the Johnny, one of our poets from tonight. Yeah. It tastes how Hyde Park looks. Oh, <laughs> beautiful yet kind of yes. dirty. I love it. Yes. Yes. Home of the president and a lot of gunshots. I'm into that. Yeah, that makes me happy. That's they, the way I think life should be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've really, like, developed Hyde Park in, like, not... Yeah, I the I was trying to, like, put into my tone the air quotes that you're now giving, yeah. In that they have a Whole Foods now. Yeah. yeah. Well, the beauty of Hyde Park is, like, it's actually a beautiful place. It's just, like, you know, pervasive racism makes right. everyone nervous about it from the north side. Yeah. Which, you know, is ingrained. Right. We're just going to go ahead and establish that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We all know racism is pervasive within American culture. Oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah? Cool. Yep. We're all on board with that one. Great. Polish. Yeah. Jesus. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was, that Apparently, <laughs> sometimes that's a fucking surprise. Well, so that's actually perfect because that's something I... Let me, let's bring up another thing real quick. And um, We're going to bring it up briefly. Briefly. Very and briefly. that sets it up really well because basically what um, we were talking about doing is um, a lot of people are posting statements in support of Chi-Tac, which mm-hmm. is the Chicago Theater Accountability, Co- Accountability Coalition. And so when we were talking about having this poetry night and then also talking about doing a live interview today, we were actually hoping to have them on tonight to talk with them about the, the work that they're doing right now. So I'm going to um, drop a bomb on you. I'm actually a member of the coalition. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, I'm like a sleeper cell. Um, no, I'm not. Uh, so I basically emailed them and I was like, what do you need and how do I help? Um, mostly because I have, believe it or not, resident white girl here, have experienced racist reviews and they were positive reviews. Yeah. Um, and watching my cast read those reviews where they were saying very positive things about the show, but in such a way that was so objectifying and exoticizing of their sexuality when we were talking about something very different was so horrifying to me that I kind of put that in my little brain and was like, okay, this is my awakening moment of this, right? 
Um, although I would argue that when like people of oppressed situations say they're experiencing something, just because you're not experiencing it, I heavily recommend you just fucking believe them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, nonetheless, like, okay, this was something I knew and, and held true in my heart, and I had experienced these reviews on other situations, and I believe very firmly in safe working environments. Um, so I messaged the group and was like, hey, what can I do? And they were like, all right, let's, you know, what do you, this is the information we're disseminating, what can you do? And I said, great, I work primarily in opera. I am going to talk to every single opera company I can find and every single association I can find and ask them to show support because we don't have any skin in the game, right? Like we yeah. don't get reviewed by Hetty Whites. Right. Um, we don't get her. But she couldn't we, handle being around that many fat bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not just racism, right? It's also sexism and sizeism ableism and, and sizeism. And it's, I don't mind a negative review. I'm all for it, right? That's a perfectly normal, reasonable thing. I am merely asking that, like, as a human being to another human being and to as another group of humans, that we show support to a, an organization that has gotten a large amount of people together mm-hmm. and a lot of organizations together yeah. to agree that we're not going to stand for racism within the context and we're not going to stand for sexism within the context mm-hmm. or sizeism, all of it. We're not going to stand for those issues coming through when we should be just talking about the work, right? The straw that broke the camel's back was that Passover is an incredibly good show, so I hear. It's well written, it's well acted, it's well performed. No one's talking about that. These are human beings and workers and artists that are not being reviewed on the merit of their production and of their efforts. They are being discussed and reviewed based on the merits of their skin color, right? And that's, excuse my language, but that's, we can do better, right? And we deserve to do better as, as humans. Oh, I was gonna say that that's little, fucked up, yeah, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rose, that the, was disgusting. I need to bleep that. <laughs> but I'm gonna go further on that, right? Because I'm not done, right? It's, yeah. it's, What I don't understand is the opera organizations not agreeing to this, right? Because we are merely saying that we stand with these organizations, right? We just stand with Shytech. It's it's like it's as simple of a statement as saying I like children, Mm -hmm. right? I don't appreciate it's like the Paris climate. <laughs> yeah. Like if I understand that we're scared to go against the zeitgeist of reviewers, and I think reviewers are an incredibly important asset and an incredibly important aspect of this industry, but I think actual criticism is. I think the way we think about critics it's not. I think you would actually get more people in a fucking door by boosting a Facebook ad at this point than reading a Hetty Weiss review. Mm, I don't know, because again, there are people that are reading this. Like, we live in a bit of a bubble, right? Yeah. There are humans that are reading her review. I mean, she literally called, and this isn't meant to be like an anti Hetty Weiss thing, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, th- she's not the only one, right? right. No, it's not, not just her it's in not any way. Just her. And that's, that's where I get 
a little upset about the whole witch hunt thing mm. because like no this isn't just about her this is there's a lot of them yeah. this is just the one where it was so glaring and so repeated and so obstinate mm-hmm. well, that it was really hurtful and upsetting yeah, yeah. Well, but it, it, it goes to the point where what I, that's why I don't understand why people wouldn't agree to this because right. it's just saying, hey, I don't think that I should subject my performers to this kind of environment. If I was a person of color or a person of a different size or a woman and these organizations were refusing to go against this, I would be very hesitant to engage. I think right? uh, part of the issue with opera is that uh, it's a medium that for too long has said, well, the voice is so important. The voice is so important. It's okay if Aida is played by a white person. Ooh. That's it's just not, right? The voice is so important. It's okay if Madame Butterfly is played by a white And I person. agree that the voice is important, right? It is music first. Nonetheless, what happens when we recognize that those bodies represent something on stage? Correct. Mm-hmm. And it's an experience, right? Like I am not qualified to represent a person of color's experience. And we live in a different world now than when a lot of these operas, than other times that the operas have been performed. That's the thing, is that it's live art that we're making right now. So if somebody walks in and sees Otello and sees this story about, you know, being black in a white culture and they see a white guy up there with his face painted, that audience who lives in the 20, in 2017 is going to come away with something different than the Met the, only uh, issued their statement saying they would no longer do blackface last year. Oh, sorry. <laughs> what happened? Go. Sorry, we're good. Everybody... Oh, I was Wait, just going to. Hold on. Uh, there we go. Sorry. Okay. I was going to say um, about number one. I didn't know that's how how you pronounced Othello. Oh yeah. Othello. But you I mean, can actually pronounce it both ways. That's like They're the both Italian. Completely way. grammatically correct. Yeah. I'm so happy that you Opera said that. Opera versus um, English modern telling. You're fine. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, and also, you know, and, and that's where it comes between, like, if you're doing something simply as a statement that you like tradition, or if you're doing something actually for the art. Because, you know, the Othello example, um, Patrick Stewart, he had a version of Othello in which he was a white man in a predominantly black, like, you know, uh, nation. And mm. that was good. It was good because it was well acted and because the premise was, you know, maybe not charged with the same racial dialogue, but it was still an interesting premise and it was well thought out. Patrick Stewart didn't wear blackface. Patrick Stewart, you know, didn't pretend to be a black man. Patrick Stewart still encapsulated the feeling of being, you know, a fish out of water. And, you know, speaking to, you know, Heidi Weiss and her review, which, I mean, I, I... barely go to Broadway plays or even opera, but I mean, from the excerpt that I saw of it, it was petty, is the thing. And the pettiness is is what, you know, not only what divides the mature from the, you know, the, um, the mature actions from the immature, but it's also what, you know, sort of divides the good from the bad. And I mean, not that she couldn't have wrote, written a bad review, it's just, um, as, I'm sorry, say your name again? Rose. As Rose said, um, it, it really, 
when, when you decide to focus on the characteristics of the actor, which are supposed to be completely absent from the piece, because actors fundamentally become different people when they step onto the stage. That is part of the magic. That's what's supposed to happen. When you divide, the, well, well, no, when you put them together and you decide to judge somebody based on their, like, if you have an actor in a movie that has done bad things, like, like when you watch a Mel Gibson movie, you, when, when you review the movie, you say Mel Gibson acted good or he acted bad. You don't say, well, Mel Gibson said these things about Jewish people. No, no, no. If you're reviewing Mel Gibson, you say Mel Gibson said these well, things about Well, that's the epitome of white privilege, right? Yeah. Which is what's being ignored exactly. on this scale. But right. in the, re the answer is, like, mm -hmm. in the end of the day, why would anyone be like, oh, I don't know if I want to come out against, you know, racism and sexism mm -hmm. against mm -hmm. a review. Like, I, that's, that's something I'm really struggling to understand with this. Oh, mm -hmm. I think but I can I'm offer some insight into why people are uncomfortable with it. Go ahead. So, I think that that, that is actually what's most difficult about this kind of racism and sexism. Is that it's pervasive? N well, it's that... Um, What's happening with these reviews is not, it's not a hate crime. It's not something you can look at and say, this is objectively racist. It's this kind of lazy, passive white supremacy, Amen. which is, it's not, it's not actively hateful if you are a person who is not experiencing it as a person of color or a person who, uh, it, it, and as what somebody I don't from understand the outside. is like, also, and I really want to emphasize this as heavily as possible, this is not a ban, right? Mm -hmm. This isn't a call for silencing. Because I feel yeah. like that's been the real like hang up that people have had. Mm -hmm. No one is telling Hetty to stop writing. Yeah. No one's mm -hmm. telling Tom Williams to stop writing. Yes, I just called out an extra one. <laughs> Good like, for you. No, yeah. we aren't telling these reviewers to stop coming to our productions and having an opinion, right? Yeah. What we are proposing, you have to understand that performance art has two modes of contribution to an economy, right? We provide something that people purchase tickets for and enjoy. We also, through compensating tickets, provide reviewers with raw materials in which they take and create written words that then they sell to readers, right? Like those are two elements and same goes for like extra bars around the area, la la la. We no longer and never have needed to fund that kind of conversation, right? Mm -hmm. We can, that conversation can happen, should happen, let it go. We've watched it happen. It's how we're in the current political climate we are mm -hmm. in. But as artists and advocates for a just and verdant society, we do not need to fund mm -hmm. that work yes. by compensating tickets. She is welcome to buy a ticket and write whatever the hell she wants. He is welcome to buy a ticket and write whatever the hell he wants. I am welcome to buy a ticket and write whatever the hell I want. It does not mean that a company needs to fund my prejudices and assumptions and concerns. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is, we aren't just asking the opera community to not fund it. We're just asking the opera community to say, hey, 
I see that they're not funding that anymore and we think that's really great. Like that's mm -hmm. all we need to do. Yeah, it so is like, the most simple of steps. I have one, so I have one question before we start the like wrapping up process that I wanna open mm. up. Before I forget, I would also like to direct people to Chicago Inclusion Project, Amen. which has been mm. doing a lot of incredible fucking work for years. And in fact, I just went in for uh, something that they were casting and I sat in that room and as a plus size person, I think people forget how shit on plus size people really are in performance. Um, and I'm sitting in this room and I look around and it's the first time in my life that I sat in a room where no one looked like me and it wasn't because I looked different than everyone else, it was because no one looked like me because none of us looked the same. And I almost cried because- I'm I, sure it had to have been exhausting it every was, other time. I, every other time. Like I, and I mean, here's the great thing. I am fully content in who I am. So like I am unapologetic about my body and who I am, but it is, always an experience where I do not look like everyone else when I walk into something and I know it and this was just the first time ever that I like was like no one looks like anyone else in this room and it was incredible and so the work that M. Joy Gavino is doing is incredible yeah and I also want to you know do a shout out to those companies that are taking a stand yes and standing in solidarity even though it's not necessarily quote unquote our fight mm -hmm. right um yes thank you like CVAC like you mm -hmm. guys step right up to the plate and you are fantastic beautiful glorious warriors well as constantly soon as we in the well-being of artists yeah as soon as we like looked it up and read about it we were like oh this is totally CVAC's fight because yeah. our whole purpose is to support performers and to make make Chicago a place where people want to come because they've heard that it's a great city to be a performer and central to that is feeling safe and feeling respected, like you can't do anything unless you feel safe. I can't get anything out of a rehearsal room on a personal level mm -hmm. unless the room feels safe. I normally yeah. spend two weeks making the room feel safe and then we get some actual work done in the last two weeks. So it was a no-brainer for us and I think as soon as, as performing arts <laughs> companies really think about it, it's a no-brainer for them too because and they're I hope they have. And I've gotten a safe. few people, I'm not naming names, but who've been like, hey, I support this privately, but publicly my company's not coming out. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm like, Okay, mm -hmm. I really wish you'd think about like that. This is the equivalent of just saying, "Hey, we don't like bigotry." Right. Right. Yeah. And Scappy, you guys came right out. I think you were one of the aside from Third Eye, and that's because I was like behind Third Eye, like putting <laughs> <laughs> yeah. card in gear, well, being like, uh -huh. "I'm publishing it with typos. I don't care." <laughs> <laughs> well, like I don't say. <laughs> Like mainstream journalism, <laughs> period, always misses the goddamn mark. So it was like not even, it wasn't even, I like was so, I was like glad to like have something to put my first, my national mainstream news frustrations onto like, oh, I wasn't glad. I'm not, that's the wrong word I want to use. But like, I'm, but it's just like, it's, it's here too. It's at home too. And I think it's, a lot of it is about like the yep. need to clean up our own house. Yeah, and I, think that really and I think that's what's so scary about it. Well, so, sorry, this is the, the question I was going to ask earlier, which is when you have something like that is so pervasive and institutional, like institutional racism, which is really the issue we're talking about, is the, which these things, the nuanced way in which she verbalizes 
uh, and again, it's not her, and it's also an ongoing issue. Right. Like this has been going on. The, when I became first aware of it, I was an undergrad. Yeah. So yeah. that was also point 2004. Of and uh, Ricky Gamboa both have pointed out, you don't have just racist reviewers; you have racist theater, right? And racist yeah. structure. Yes. And, and the positive review I got that was was really racist came from a twenty-something white girl. Like, it was somebody younger than me. Well, so here, and it can come from somebody issue. who's well-intentioned. She was so and, happy to, like, and that's show one of the that reasons this, like, that people black, are awesome show is un- happening. unwilling to come out against it is because they're like, well, where's the malintent? And the thing is, damage can happen. I don't know, when you happen. say the customer did the best she could with real women bodies who are size 8, 10, and 14. Oh, there I'm not saying it was right. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way I'm that is your I don't think yeah. <laughs> that's like yeah. that's literally from. Mm-hmm. I mean, and again, I, I it is a heady witch hunt right now, and I don't want it. But that I don't know, and it shouldn't actually be because it works, right? Like right. I read that review. And we well, finish, finish your thought, and then I have a, a way to segue into something more general. Oh, I, that I mean, I I just wanted to say mm-hmm. like this is not just a heady issue. And I'm right. just saying that is very specifically something. She well, and that's and that's like, what people need to understand is that. Like, and that's what people don't understand, who are not yeah. willing to come out against it, is that there is real damage being done, mm-hmm. even though it's not, you know, this, like, fireworks thing, like, s- someone is not hiring people of color, or a reviewer says, I didn't like that there were black people on stage. It's not yeah. that extreme, but it's still no, damaging. It's but right. coded right. language is extreme. Exactly. And it's, like, a symptom of, mm-hmm. it's a symptom of institutional racism. And I think the thing, the thing that we're dealing with is this monolithic entity, which is institutional and racism. And also, and sorry, but no. like one of the things I want to talk about is like the fact that like it, like Hetty is a repeat offender, yes. But also one of the reasons I suspect for all of us that it was kind of easy to be like, okay, we're done here with her, is institutional sexism, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the problem with intersectionalities. It's always really hard and complex. And I feel like a lot of people, that's where they're feeling jiggity about it yeah. in that like oh there's a witch hunt happening against this woman oh yeah yeah oh, right yeah. like i feel like there's some kind of issue there and as a woman who has witnessed a lot of witch hunts in her life pro tip i'm a big old butch lesbian like i am often the only one in the room like i get it i get that concern however the infraction is deeper and more general than that that may have been the inspiration but there is such a wider issue here. Mm-hmm. And we did it with Not In Our House in the theater community where we came together against sexual harassment and breaching of, of safe conduct. We can do it again in coming together against unsafe working environments and no longer funding institutional bigotry. And I wanna expand it very purposefully to bigotry because it's not just racism. Although racism is horrific, it is also sexism, sizeism, genderism, classism, and it's a problem. Yeah. And it, we don't. Ha- it, it can still live there. It can still have all the opinions it wants. Shytek is merely saying, "Let's stand up and not fund it." Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my next question before we we wrap up is uh, the thing I think about a lot with these conversations is the burden of education. Um, And I think it's an interesting thing, especially when you start talking about um, something like this where the not catching the pervasiveness of institutional racism in the subtle things and like microaggressions in wordings and things like that um, 
Well, and I, I, I'm going to say right now that it's a, a white issue, and I'm, if, if any of you disagree with that thought, please cor correct me. But my, my thought here is that, like, I don't love the idea of the onus of education falling on the oppressed, um, but I also don't love the idea of white voices speaking for colored voices, you know? And, I, and so my curiosity is, for, for y'all, is where... How, where is education done well? How, what's the best way to clean up our communities uh, that are that are like trying to reach into other communities and like what? What you I, got? Oh, no, you got um, your hand raised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, the reality is that it should be like you know white people's issue and like white people's problem, especially like white cisgender males should definitely be able to research this stuff on their own but the reality is that that it does come down to us and it's not fair but it's just kind of what we got to do and it's an entirely different thing teaching people than it is calling people out on it mm. and that's the hard thing like and the the rough thing that i figured out is just that you can't call people out on everything all the time if you want to teach them because the the reality is just based on you know normal human psychology the second you tell somebody that they're wrong that what they're saying is wrong they will find every way in which what they they are saying is justified so instead you have to like I mean you literally have to like create a little imaginary Leonardo DiCaprio in your mouth and like push it out of your mouth and make him crawl inside of their ear and accept that idea into their head. That has to be exhausting. <laughs> wow, it is, yeah. it is. But I mean, it's pretty much what you do. What you do is you lay out the facts, you give them new, well, number one, you know, I'm gonna break it down to the liberal arts college, mostly white people science. Yeah. So you gain their trust, you deal with their, you know, you become an exception. You know, for me, I was the black friend. <laughs> so, just, no, I mean, I hear you. So right. I so, I mean, I, I mean, it's just what I did. It's how I taught people. Become the, the exception. You bring up, you add facts, like, you know, they say, oh, Chicago must be super duper dangerous. The South Side is super horrible, you know, gunshots all the time. And then you give them new information. Like, you know, for example, the South Side is only that way because of poverty. Well, they're like, oh, well, you know, rural states and then you it's rural states we have poverty but we don't really shoot and I'm like well no you guys still shoot each other it's just there's not as many police out there so of mm. course you're not gonna get arrested as much mm. and there and in Chicago we're also a major metropolitan you know city it's not so, as many poor people can exactly and mm -hmm. it's also it's also you know just a vast concentration of news like I mean at this point violence has become news and news becomes money so, you know, when you show them all these little threads they weren't looking at, then if they realize that you're, you know, if they can somehow extend that idea of you being this exception, not being like the, you know, black dude, not if you have dreadlocks and you're black and you're like, don't sell weed and you don't smoke weed and this and that and they're like oh well i guess most dread well i guess not every dreadlock black dude sells weed but it's like 
really the only way those changes can happen is if there's some kind of conversation. And the reality is the burden of the conversation remains on us when it shouldn't. It's like when we have to push through so much racism and so much bigotry just to get to the point where we can tell you, you know, after we've had like a nice palling around conversation or after we've gained your, you know, insight that, wow, he's just like me. He's like a normal human being, like a normal hmm. human being, being the operative term here. Um, you, you somehow, you, that's the only way that you can see change. And, and so, so when I say that, and this is, you know, my, my last little burp, like, you know, when they say, when they make inappropriate comments about black people, you know, I, I mean, when that happened to me, I just made inappropriate jabs about white people. But then I also said, like, but for real, that wasn't cool at the end of the conversation, so he knew that that hurt me. And then, you know, when he realizes that that hurts me, he can say, oh, wow, I didn't just hurt a random black person that I don't really care about, I hurt my friend. And then once they hurt their friends, and their friend is a black person, it's like that, that sort of mental, that, that, that sort of mental bridging begins to take place, and they realize, oh, wow, I guess black people are just like kind of human. And, or I guess, gay people, since I have a gay friend and he was really hurt by what I said, are just kind of human. Because when you go to these groups, when you go to these open mics, sometimes you do see like the odd person that like doesn't seem to be, you know, they grew up in like rural Kentucky or something. But then they go to college and they meet such and such and they're like, oh wow, I used to be like such a jerk. Or, or my brother was gay. Or, you know, somebody else was gay. And then once that, once that you are forced to care about the oppressed group, either by virtue of them forming a friendship with you, or by virtue of them being your family, or by virtue of you know, having to work with them every day or something. You can, or even by virtue of them being your neighbor, and like you not being, not having like five other white neighbors, white male neighbors to talk about them with. It's like, when you're forced to care, it's only when you like can care. Like, like we're forced to care every day, uh, you know, gay people people of color, Latinx people. I mean, because we live in the groups that are marginalized every day. So we have to realize that, and that's another thing, race and sexism and bigotry, and uh, it's, it's pervasive. Like to say that, like, like art is political and politics is racist, sexist, and bigoted. So it, it pervades everything, it pervades academics, it pervades art, it pervades life. And I feel like the second we start realizing that every action we have is in this air of you know, oppression, unless you're not one of the oppressed, that's when we can like start, that's when we can start not really living in this sort of privileged matrix. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was thank you. Elegant. Can we, as the rest of the room that are presenting as white, take that and with our other white folks, hold them accountable to that, so he doesn't have to do it all the time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
That's the like, power of, of we speak the language, like, right? We yeah. have the like can we do that so we it's can not reach so exhausting? Other people's echo chambers ourselves. Yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. I think our job as woke yeah. as white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to put it. To yeah. remember I mean, that yeah. and, and, <laughs> and it's like repeat. by all means disagree, right? I, I like the surge model a lot where mm-hmm. surge doesn't do anything unless Black Lives Matter tells them to do it. Yeah. That's like the mm-hmm. rule. For those of you who don't know, Surge is showing up for racial justice. And it's basically white people hanging out, being like, what you need? Oh, yeah. Like, I've sent pizzas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that's what they needed that day. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. Um, I I think uh, you just uh, hit upon a point that is really imperative. What do you need? What what do you need? Yeah. Period. That was the email I sent. Yeah. What do you need? And it... And it wasn't out of like some goodliness. It was because I've been slapped around by a lot of really patient people of color. Right. <laughs> and I think um, we always get into physically. really dangerous territory where white people change the narrative to still somehow be about them. Yeah, the white savior complex. Right. And yeah. you need to like shut the fuck up and listen to what people need and just do it. You know, like that's probably more interesting art anyway. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, we have a few minutes. Sorry. Did you want to? You haven't said anything. I have not, uh, but, so I, uh, it's interesting, uh, so I grew up on Long Island, um, my dad is from Korea. Okay. Uh, my mom is from, uh, like, e- everywhere around Poland. It's not important. My um, wife warned me that you'd be here tonight. <laughs> She's like, there's gonna be, like, a guy that was, like, Asian and also, like, a European immigrant. Like, cool. You don't want to talk to him. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's really great. Cool. I don't, who, who's, who's your wife? Janae Williams. This is this nice party planner lady. It's very cool. Wine. Very cool. I'm a fan. And, all right, well, she made me dinner. I'm, I'm glad it's okay that, that I came here instead. It's fine. I'm, I'm glad I was, I was heralded. You were. Uh, I'm not kidding. Very cool. Continue. I yeah. No, it's that. cool. No. Uh, so it, growing up on Long Island, no one saw, like, even the, the last name Lee, Granted, it is a very Asian name. It is also a very not Asian name. Uh, so Smith. like, yeah. So it, it is the Smith of Korea. Yeah. So, so like, no one of you know growing up on Long Island. No, I was never lumped into anything but uh, a completely white group. I'm also Jewish, so that was another subset of you know like everything. That's uh, also not what I'm going to talk. Do you listen about. to the podcast Code Switch? I. No. They what is just that? did an episode about <laughs> imposter syndrome, about a lot of people who are half, uh, like, half uh, Iranian, half Puerto Rican, uh-huh. and don't have a great relationship with one half of the family, and have like, don't feel safe claiming certain identity because of it or something. I think you might enjoy it. Also, Very that cool. podcast is incredible. In Very cool. I will definitely give it a listen to. Uh, yeah. So like, so I, even though I, uh, my, even though I am half white. Uh, I had never uh, really had any of the hardships that come from being a first being a first generation Korean, you know, like yeah. my, my dad moved here when he was three. Nobody so, threw a flip flop Right. So like no Sorry one if that was not okay. <laughs> so like, you know, so I, I I was never outside of that bubble. I wasn't even aware of of, you know, institutional racism or anything like that until, you know, much later on in my life. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I'm not old, so that wasn't, you know, too long ago. 
So like it's it's just really interesting how like um, for example my my aunt uh, my dad's sister someone threw something at her right after the election and was like go back to your country and I was like that really took me aback because that was the first time that I had that it had you know that I'd heard anything about that from my family was that, and that was your crazy Korean or your yeah 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 my my Korean my, my Korean aunt. And it was crazy, and I was like, you know, we, we were all very upset, and you know, it was it was just it was it's weird because normally the reason I haven't said anything is because I don't I uh, everything that I would say is being said. Uh, I I don't consider myself to be uh, eloquent enough to add to something that the one two three four five six of you are <laughs> all you know very accurately saying, mm -hmm. you know, so. Uh, but that story there was like really useful, right? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Like all of a sudden, your family is experiencing a minority status that hadn't existed before, and the, and and the imposter syndrome. Like that's an incredibly valuable contribution. Yeah. that's that's cool to that's cool to hear that that's that's a thing because now and like not something that's that so of us could speak to. <laughs> well, you know, I, I feel yeah. like that's something that people don't bring up: the education privilege or the or the you mm -hmm. know like location privilege. Yeah. And, and I mean, people bring up, you know, like, biracial privilege all the time, but like, I mean, I would, like, not be here this long, I don't think, if I didn't know, like, five different ways to say that I was sad, and also the word anti-disestablishmentarianism, and also, like, you know, that what we're doing right now is pontificating. Like, if, like I mean, yeah. yeah, if I didn't go to some nice high school, and I didn't live in a nice little two flat in Chatham. If I lived in like a Section Eight housing or something, and like not, not to say people who live in Section Eight housing are, but it's like if I had a different economic class, or I had this and that. Like I mean, because once again, the word intersectionality. Like when you add class privilege to being black, or you add you know LGBTQ to being black, it's like. If we all think of it as a like like so let's say the cisgendered white male starts out with a dollar in America. And then once you see those different characteristics change, like you know, in the Sims or something, I mean the I will the hang out happily change. with my seventy cents. I've lost five cents because I'm butch. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Um but but it's like um, I mean, just talking well, like, like, I mean, being black right now, like, it's not fun, but, you know, I, I know, I know some Arab people who are, like, a little bit darker that will say that they're biracial sometimes, just because of the, you know, the, the, the stigma that Arab people have right now, with everybody who's Arab has to be, you know, Muslim or Islamic. Or, which I mean, even to say like the problems that Islamic people have, or Muslims. Like I mean, when you have to change your race literally to deal with religious bias, which shouldn't be there in the first place, it's like you see that the problem isn't like whether you're black or Asian or Latinx or any of that. The problem just becomes when you're like not just like white. I mean, no. because when right when they're it's like that otherness, it's it's just the otherness period, mm -hmm. and I mean, 
you know, seeing people deal with that, see, like, seeing people deal with police in the way that I don't, like, I mean, you know, I'm like, oh, like, how are you, officer, and this and that, like, there's a lot of benefit right now to sounding white on the phone. It's a reality. Like, yeah. I, like you get more job interviews because of it. You get more, you know, even though sounding white is a fake thing, but it's like, there are all these little, you know, phrases and institutions and stuff that get created just because of the nature of, like, you know, the fact that somehow everything other than white just gets dehumanized on a primal, instinctual level and on a political and societal level. And that's just really weird to me. Like, I never understood it. Just because, I mean... But like even just talking about like like I having nothing on your record privilege. Like I have no crimes on my record. But somehow if I were to be on a corner, you know, selling something selling something that, you know, is is illegal but only like in everywhere but Colorado and even then only only if you don't have a medical license for it. it and even then like on the I've north been side six right. times in my life, mm-hmm. nine if we're counting how many times I've been pulled over mm-hmm. and not asked to leave my car. Mm-hmm. I have nothing on my record. It's squeaky clean. Mm-hmm. That is white privilege in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should have gone to jail. I have literally been put in a jail cell overnight. There really? is nothing on my record. They took me out the next day and said, mm-hmm. get home safe. Wow. Uh, I mean, all that. I have intervened. Mm-hmm. Wow. On situations where I've been like, hi, officers, how are we doing? Is everything okay here? Mm. Well, everybody's ass was in the air and hands were on the wheel. It is not okay. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a white person, it would have never occurred to me that that was an issue until I walked up and said, is everything okay here? Mm-hmm. And when the cop walked away, everyone said, thank God you showed up. And I said, why? Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. No realization. It is. It's a privilege. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's like, I know people who are like amazing, intelligent people, but they have to sell stuff because, you know, they need money and they, like, another thing is, you know, when they talk about people who sell drugs, getting Jordans and other stuff like that, like, don't you want to buy clothes when you get money for like yourself? And don't you want to like, not let, like, when you're poor in America, you don't want to look poor. You, you buy the good diapers you know, right. because they last all day. Because they last all day. And it's expensive to be poor. Exactly. And, yep. and, and it's actually bu- way mm-hmm. more expensive yeah. to be poor than people realize. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There, people are finally actually like doing studies about it. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and you, uh, and this is the last thing. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. Okay. Um, you know, yeah. And I mean, so, so you buy the good diapers and and you buy the iPhone 6S because you don't have a laptop. You can email, do Google Docs, do everything from that one smartphone, and then people, like, people compliment you on it. It's like the ultimate package. Right. Also, I mean, it never uh, ceases to amaze me how much white men can police what people do. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, with no understanding of what other people are going through. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's not saying that, like, and here I go, like, petting everybody's feelings, right? White feelings are the most important thing, right? But, like, nonetheless, like, I do want to say on record, like, I know a lot of really beautiful, wonderful white men that are, like, absolutely here for it. I'm thinking of Shafford's 
particularly who came out and was like, well, if you're so poor that you can't afford insurance, why do you have an iPhone? Yes. Oh, like, yeah. That's, which that's was just... What, oh. which, which I was like, because I'm so poor, I cannot afford insurance. I am uninsured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I am like, well, because I do all of my work on my fucking iPhone. Mm-hmm. I would also be homeless without yeah, my iPhone. Yeah, exactly. In to being yeah, like, <laughs> this is a tool, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> if you don't do these things, we're not talking about you. It's always what I say. Right. So, so that was, I also always point out that's a one-time purchase, whereas the cheapest plan afforded to me after my my income after deductions was twenty two thousand dollars. The cheapest plan afforded to me was just shy of three hundred dollars. <laughs> So you do the math, and and they don't take credit cards. So you do the math. Like, like there would be never a month I could like actually pay it. Yes, Mm -hmm. and I was like, well, the because you know I'm like the system is broken, and the only way to fix that system is to go to a single payer system. And once we figure that out, if we ever figure that out, because it's a sixth of our economy, it's Mm -hmm. going to fail. Mm -hmm. It is like that's all there is to it. But like. My, I have an iPhone because that actually makes me money. Mm-hmm. I cannot afford to have insurance. Mm-hmm. I just can't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And com- comparing those two things is... Well, it's absurd. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's just absurd. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like, comparing any of it, it's absurd. It's like calling, I mean, to go back to the Shytech thing, it's like calling graffiti artists urban terrorists. Urban oh, terrorists. Yeah. It's like, where are you coming from on this? Which is why, I, like, I heard you guys are doing this panel. What are you doing it? Two weeks, three weeks. When you well, okay, so out? that's um, that's what uh, we're talking about it being part of a representation series um, about doing an actual panel. So if, if it's cool, because we have to drive to New York tonight, we should start wrapping up. It's something <laughs> I want to do. It's to an eighteen-hour drive, probably. To New York, it's like fourteen. From Is here. It? Yeah. yeah. If you start, um, I'm gonna do part of it tonight, <laughs> the rest of it tomorrow. Cool. So, um, so all of this conversation has been no sleep till Brooklyn. I'm just saying, if we're talking about white supremacy, let's talk about some white rappers. Like, yeah. finish it up. Cool. So, uh, if you've liked what we've talked about, um, especially if you're not white, please reach out because we're gonna have this panel that we're really excited about. Um, that we're working with Shy Tack on figuring out all the details therein, um, but please keep posted because it's going to be part of our representation series in July. Um, I want to do quick plugs, so let's each do like a quick twenty-second thing that someone has they have working on because we have five of us here. Uh, I am currently working on a play called Life Finds a Way, which is a stage adaptation of Jurassic Park for the five-year anniversary of InGen Productions. Um, and Lady Business and Fry Shits and Pond of Flesh is still being worked on, so. Um, I'm the managing director of Scobby Magazine. It is a uh, multimedia journalism mm-hmm. outlet in Chicago focusing on serving, uh, sharing underserved opinion perspectives. Um, <laughs> you can find us on iTunes and Scobby Mag. <laughs> you want a hug, Mel? <laughs> <laughs> Um, Rose Freeman here, recruiting for duty for Third Eye Theater Ensemble. Uh, if this goes up tomorrow, um, this will come up like Monday, honestly, because we're going to be. All right, so you driving. missed it. It was a really awesome concert about uh, basically Latin American performers. But our big plug is going to be stay tuned for October. We're doing with Blood with Ink about Sarawana Inez de la Cruz. 
Um, also, for everybody who's needing some perspective on that, you can watch a series about her on Netflix or read a book. She was amazing. Uh, but we're doing that opera in the fall, and I'm really excited. Uh, I'm a college student. And <laughs> <laughs> I love you. <laughs> like, you'll see me like at a gar at, at, at like a gallery, not a gallery, but like a, a gallery or something, or an open mic, because like I'm just doing this for fun. What's your name, man? Oh, a Johnny. Thank you, a Johnny. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's an awesome name. Thank you. I don't have anything to plug, but you should play Dungeons and Dragons. It is the best <laughs> game that you will ever play. You do have something to plug. On July, July 6th. 6th. Oh, I do have something to plug. <laughs> the only thing I want to be doing, but yeah. can't because I have to go see Passover. Yeah. <laughs> On July 6th, you should see us all, uh, me and Maureen and Daniel and some other people play Dungeons and Dragons. I am a fantastic dungeon master. <laughs> um, play Dungeons and Dragons, watch Steven Universe. That's all I have to say. Oh, yes. I am going to plug uh, Thompson Street Opera's upcoming production of Cosmic Ray and the Amazing Chris, which is a Comic-Con and cosplay yeah! opera extravaganza. Uh, and that is going up the first two weekends of September. I literally um, read the libretto mm, and mm. lost my fucking mind. It's amazing. It's so good. And so it's fun. So good. And uh, also, I am one of the co-founders and managing directors of the Chicago Vocal Arts Consortium, where people who are of the singer persuasion come together and get angry about things, and we channel that anger into practical solutions. We meet every second Friday and fourth Saturday of the month at Roosevelt University, so come hang out with us. Theory made praxis, as socialists would say. Um, <laughs> cool, well, uh, quickly, scopymag.com, that's our website. Facebook, Scopy Magazine, Instagram and Twitter, at scopymag. Check out all of us up there. Our, most, our next event is going to be 4th of July down in Pilsen at Nightcap Coffee, 4th of July party. Um, please donate. We keep the shows free so that we uh, can, so that everyone can reach it. Uh, your donation means that we can keep our things free and unsponsored and everything. Um, so please, if you can, please, 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 please. I think that's the main thing, is that like we don't, we're not currently seeking out sponsors, um, specifically because we don't want our message watered down. Yes. Um, we are, you know, we have important conversations, we um, talk to interesting people, and I don't want to interrupt these conversations to say that it's brought to you by Nature MeUndies. Yeah. <laughs> or, fucking, or whatever. Pass for mattresses. I would try MeUndies, but I don't think I can afford them. Yeah. <laughs> they also don't come in big enough sizes, so fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. What I, the or, hell? I yeah. ordered. A, I ordered their biggest size, and it didn't fit. Fuck that. Shit. So yeah. Listen, listen. If you're able to give, give a little, give a lot, and if you can't give, then listen participate and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Woo!